Welcome to Sunday Homilies with me, Father Mike Schmitz. I hope today's homily inspires and motivates you. And I also hope that it leaves you hungry for the one who gave everything to feed you. If you want to get this and other Sunday Mass resources sent straight to your inbox, sign up at ascensionpress.com Sunday or by texting Sunday to 33777. You can also follow or subscribe in your podcast app for weekly notifications. God bless. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had ordered them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. Then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I should have a seat. So uh, we get to this place, right? This is next weekend is Pentecost. And so this whole, which ultimately going to be 50 days of Praying with the Lord for 50 days that commemorates basically Jesus appearing to the disciples 50 days of Jesus, or 40 days really, and then the extra nine days for the Pentecost happens. But here we are. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus appears to his disciples 13 times. He shows himself alive 13 times. He shows himself that, that, that death was not the end of him, that he conquered death. He rose from the grave and he reveals himself to the disciples 13 times. In fact, in the first reading, it says that he presented himself alive to them with many proofs. And so when it came to the disciples and their faith. Jesus had demonstrated the truth we talked about last weekend, that he is who he says he is. That Jesus had had made it clear that there would be no doubt in their minds. Okay, Jesus is who he says he is. There's there's no no discussion. There's no there's no questions left to be answered. Jesus has proven again, as it says, he presented himself alive to them by many proofs, and the disciples believe this. In fact, that's why in Acts chapter one. Here they are. Jesus walks up to Bethany and they're looking out over the city of Jerusalem and they ask him the question. They know who he is, so they ask him the question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They know that he's the king. They know that he is the, the answer. He, they know that he is the one they've been longing for, praying for, the promised Messiah. They know this. That's why they ask him this question. Lord, are you going to, at this point, going to establish the kingdom on earth, essentially? So they know. They believe. They have faith. And I love this because <laughs> Jesus, uh, Jesus, his answer is basically, um, no, I'm not. You are going to. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses throughout Judea, Samaria, at the end of the earth. And we're going to talk about that. Well, that's, that's next weekend, essentially, when it comes to Pentecost, that, that being commissioned to be sent out, just like in the first, in the gospel today. But I think that we have the question still, like, as the disciples are there, they, they know the truth. They believe in Jesus. They have faith. Well, what, what might have been in their hearts as Jesus is telling them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. As Jesus is, is called the Great Commission, as Jesus is sending them out, as they're there in that moment, what could be in their hearts? And I think Matthew 28 gives us a slight, just a glimpse into what might have been in the disciples' hearts. So remember, they believe in Jesus. He's, been, he's proven himself to them. They have faith. And yet... Matthew 28 has this really remarkable line where it says, when they saw him, remember, he's alive, he's risen from the dead. It's a proof. 
When they saw him, it says, they worshiped, but they doubted. And if you, I don't know if you've ever like meditated on this, like what, how is it possible? Here are the disciples. Jesus has demonstrated to them they, they don't really need faith, that they have proof to worship and still doubt. And I just wonder what, what that would look like. I, I don't know if you've ever doubted. I, a lot of times we have those, we have those doubts in our minds, we have those doubts in our hearts, we have those moments where we just we just don't know. Now, here's the thing, is I think most of us who would say, like, oh yeah, I I I I struggle with doubt. I don't know if you do. Like, I don't know if you're doing it right. In which case, you might think like, oh, shoot, I can't even doubt right. You might be right. Because, because I think a lot of times we look at what we're feeling, what we're going through, what we're wrestling with, what we're struggling with, and we think, oh, that's doubting. It's not. Because let's ask the question, what's faith? Remember, we've talked about this so many times. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not having this, this kind of overwhelming, warm, fuzzy. It's, faith is not a feeling. That's so important for us to understand. Also, we recognize that faith is not merely an intellectual assent. It's not merely saying, okay, no, 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 I believe this, a list of items, like I believe the creed. That's not, strictly speaking, faith. So we realize this. Faith is not a feeling, and faith is not merely intellectual assent. Therefore, doubt is not a feeling. For all this truth that, that faith is not a, a feeling, but sometimes you're like, ah, but I just don't know sometimes. I, I sometimes wonder. I sometimes am uncertain. That feeling of doubt is not doubt. Faith is not a feeling, doubt is not a feeling, faith is not merely intellectual assent, and doubt is not having intellectual questions. It's not the same thing. In fact, hopefully that's consoling because you might find yourself in wondering, am I doubting? But you might just have questions. Or, or maybe you don't feel anything. That's not doubt. That's okay. It's likely what the apostles were going through because this is just fascinating. I was doing some research on, on Matthew 28 and exactly what it was that that word they worshiped, but they doubted. What is that word? That word actually is used only one other time in the Gospels. And the word essentially ultimately means that they didn't necessarily doubt in the sense that they denied the Lord. It means they hesitated. Remember, faith, not a feeling. Faith, not intellectual assent. Faith is when we get to this place of, okay, I understand what the proposal is. I'm going to now make the act of the will. I'm going to make the decision to surrender to this proposition. I'm going to make the decision to surrender, to, to submit my intellect and my will. I'm making this decision to surrender my life to the Lord. That's faith. I'm making the decision to surrender my life to God. Doubt, not a feeling, not a question. Doubt is, oh, I know what's being taught. I've asked all the questions and now I refuse to submit my intellect and my will. I, 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 I refuse to submit myself to the Lord. It's basically, it's, it's rebellion. What the disciples were going through is not that. They're not, they're not refusing to submit their lives to the Lord. What they're doing is they worshiped, but they hesitated. And to hesitate is not the same thing as doubt. In fact, the John Henry Cardinal Newman, right? He, uh, the guy we named the Newman Center after. At one point, he said this. He, at one point, he pointed out, he, this out. He said, 10,000 difficulties do not add up to one single doubt. 10,000 difficulties do not add up to one single doubt. You and I, we can come before the Lord in worship and prayer. We can come before the Lord as we're, you know, reading scripture. And we can say, no, I believe this, but I have questions. Realize this, this is so important. The disciples worshiped, but they hesitated. Maybe, had, maybe they had questions. 
We have to understand this. The church is not afraid of your questions. This is so important for us to understand. The church is not afraid of your questions. The church is not saying, don't question. Now, you might have had someone who questions, because I talk to people all the time who say, you know, I went to religious ed classes or I went to Catholic school or whatever, and my teachers, my nuns, my whoever they were, they, they told me, like, stop asking questions. Now, here's the reason. I, I would say this. Maybe, yeah, you had a bad teacher who might have just said, you know, I don't like questions in my class, whatever. But let's be honest with ourselves at this point. When you were in religious ed class or maybe in, like, faith formation or you're at, even at Catholic school, if you went to Catholic school and you were asking questions, were you asking questions because you wanted to know the answer or were you asking questions because you wanted to distract the teacher? Now, here's me. I'm only saying this because I know that I've, I've done it. I can smell, we can smell our own. Like that, that sense of, I know what it's like to say, I wonder how far I feel I can get this professor or this teacher. We did in, I did in seminary for crying out loud. I'm the worst. But that sense of asking questions to the point where your teacher says, stop asking questions might not be their fault. It might actually be the fact that I was asking questions distract them. I know you might have been asking questions like a four-year-old. Like, what, what's, the, what's, what's the favorite question of a four-year-old? Like, why? Time to go to bed. Why? Because it's late. Why? Because the sun went down. Why? Because we're spinning around the sun. Why? Like, the, the four-year-old doesn't want an answer to the question. The four-year-old just doesn't want to do what they're supposed to do. Sometimes, and this is just sometimes, you and I might have been told to stop asking questions, not because the questions were bad, not because questions are bad, but because we weren't asking the questions to know the answer. Or maybe, here's another one. I've talked to some students uh, over the course of the last few years who've said like, you know, my grandma, you know, she's really faithful, but she tells me, just stop asking questions, just believe. Because I, I, my grandma's super faithful, so I ask her questions, and she says, stop asking any questions, just believe. And I would say, okay, maybe. That could mean that she's never struggled, right? It could mean that she's never asked the questions. It also could mean that she wrestled and she struggled and she asked those questions so long ago that she wrestled her way to a victory. <laughs> like she wrestled her way so successfully that she's like, oh yeah, on the other side of this, I realized that's not that important of a question. Or maybe it's so long ago that she forgot what it's like to wrestle. But chances are, if you meet someone in their old age who has that place of just peace when it comes to their faith and like they don't wrestle anymore, it's probably not because they never cared or they never questioned. It's probably because they wrestled their way into a victory. They didn't stop asking questions until their heart was at peace. Again, the church is not afraid of your questions. In fact, some of the greatest saints that have ever been canonized in the church are the ones who asked the hardest questions. You've heard of St. Thomas Aquinas. And Thomas Aquinas, in his book, The Summa Theologica, right? In the, that book, The Summa, he asks questions that make like the modern day atheists look like they're in second grade because he asks the hardest questions and he asks them in the most articulate and challenging way that he doesn't straw man the argument. He, he steel mans the argument. He asks the hardest questions. In fact, it even says, St. Thomas Aquinas, when it comes to say one of the biggest questions, like how can God be good and all powerful and there's still be evil in the world? Thomas Aquinas, looks at that question, he addresses it unblinkingly because it's super important. And he takes it seriously because that's what it is to take God seriously. So the disciples, they get to this place and they see the Lord Jesus. They know he's there. They believe in him. They have faith. They worship, but they doubted. They hesitated. It might be because they needed to ask some questions, just like you and just like me. I think there's three kinds of questions that we need to ask. Sometimes three kinds of questions that come up in the Christian's life as we're disciples, as we have faith in the Lord, right? We're surrendering our lives to him, but we still have these questions. And for one of the first questions is what? Meaning, okay, I have a struggle. Like St. Cardinal John Henry Newman would say, I, I have a struggle. Uh, I have a difficulty. 
I don't know what the church teaches. Sometimes our problem is we think we know what the church teaches, but we really don't. In fact, there was a poll that came out maybe about 10 years ago that was asking non-Christians what they thought about Christians. And they first asked Christians what they think about themselves. So how do you think the world sees you? And they used words like mercy, grace, peace, reconciliation, like, you know, just like a light in the, among the nations. And some of the non-Christians, their wor- words to describe Christians were things like hypocritical, elitist, bigoted, homophobic, like all these words. And so recognize that there, there's a massive portion of our world that doesn't see what we believe in the same way that we understand we believe. So one of the first questions we have to ask is, what is it the church teaches? One of the things we, we realized, Fulton Sheen said this maybe 50 or 60 years ago. He claimed, he said, there's not 100 people in America who hate the Catholic church, but there are thousands upon thousands who hate what they mistakenly think the Catholic church is. Now that might be true or that might not be true. But the fact is, the first question we have to ask, if we're wrestling with our faith, if we're struggling, if we're worshiping but doubting, worshiping but hesitating, we have to ask, okay, so before I go any further, what does the church actually teach? That's a, that's a very important question. The second question was the one question that I wrestled with so much. The question is why? Like, as I went to college, I majored in theology. I mentioned this, I think, last week or the week before. I majored in theology. And, and it was one of those situations where I'm like, okay, I kind of know now what the church teaches, but I, I need to know why. I need to know where this comes from. I need to know what, like, what is the church oriented towards? Why in the world does the church teach this when the world teaches that? Why in the world does the Catholic church teach this when other Christian churches don't teach that? I need to know why. And we get to ask the question, what? We, need to ask, we get to ask the question, why? But I would say that um, or the hardest question, the hardest question when it comes to faith, I think it's the, maybe the question that the disciples had in their hearts. It wasn't just what, it wasn't just why. But here is Jesus who is telling them, I'm going to send you into the whole world. I'm going to send you out and you are going to be uh, sheep in the midst of wolves. You're going to be a sign to the world. You're going to be a light of the world. You're going to be a salt of the earth. You are going to be my disciples, my apostles in the world. Imagine the question is, how? I wonder if, as the apostles are seeing the Lord. They have faith in him. They worship him, but they hesitated because how? How in the world am I going to do this? And I mentioned there's one other place in the Gospels where that word is used, that word to doubt or to hesitate is used. And it comes from uh, Luke's Gospel where in the middle of the night, the disciples are out in the, in the boat in the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a storm. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. You know what Peter says? Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And so here is Peter. He gets out of the boat, begins walking on the water. This is Luke's, Matthew's gospel. He begins walking on the water toward Jesus. He's doing something impossible. But then it says, but when he saw how strong the wind and the waves were, he became afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately stretched out his arm, picked him up, carried him back to the boat. And he said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? The word there that Jesus used was you of little faith, why did you hesitate? You know that I'm here. 
Yes, you're doing something impossible. You're doing something that is way beyond your capabilities. And you're wondering, how am I doing this? And so you hesitated. This is, this is for us. I mean, so many of us, we can look at our, our, the faith and we say, like, I don't know what the church teaches or I don't know why the church teaches it, but sometimes we know what, we know why, but we look at ourselves and we say, how in the world can I live this out? Because I know my weaknesses. I know my wounds. I know my brokenness. I know how limited I am. I don't know how in the world am I going to be able to be faithful to the Lord in the midst of this, what I've got here. How am I going to be faithful to the Lord in the mess of my family, in the mess of my relationships, in the mess of this world? How am I going to do it? How am I going to walk on water? How am I going to bring a gospel of light and truth and peace to a world of darkness and lies and violence? I would say you start. This is the last thing. There's a quote that's attributed at least to St. Francis of Assisi. You know, the call that Jesus had for him and his life he said, go and rebuild my church, which I'm like, man, if you, someone were to say that to one individual, just this, this kid from a, the small town in Italy, just go rebuild my church. Like, where in the world? That's impossible. Impo- complete, it, is, it literally is impossible. Just like Jesus saying to the disciples, the apostles, go and make disciples of all nations. That's impossible. Just like saying to Peter, come and walk to me on the water. That's impossible. So apparently, St. Francis, at one point, he said, okay, how do you do that? He says, we'll start by doing what's necessary. Then do what's possible. And soon you will be doing the impossible. Start with what's necessary. Then do what's possible. And soon you will be doing the impossible. Not because of your own strength. Not because you become more and more courageous. It's because when we start doing by doing what's necessary, just what's in front of me. Like, what is Jesus calling me to do today? What's necessary? Okay, I need to get up. I need to go back to work. I need to get up and take, need to take care of my family. I need to get up. I need to do that thing. Whatever that is, you're keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. Remember that when Peter was walking on water, he was doing the impossible. What was it that made him hesitate? It's when he took his eyes off Jesus and focused on the wind and the waves. The disciples, why would they worship and yet doubt, yet worship, yet hesitate? When they take their eyes off of Jesus and focus on, here's what he's calling us to. Which is why I believe in both cases, when Jesus walked, Peter walked in the water, and when Jesus is sending them out into the world, he reminded them, you're not doing this alone. Jesus says, behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Because of that, you know what to do. Go out to all nations. Bring the gospel to them. You know why you're doing it. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all those who believe in him might not perish but have eternal life. And God wants all to be saved. And how to do it. How can you do it? How can I do it? You can do it by keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. And knowing that even when we worship and hesitate, when we walk and we fall, when we try and we fail, we can hear the voice of Jesus reminding us, behold, I am with you always until the very end.